Right, it's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. So my first guest this morning was Ellis Ross. I heard that. The BC United MLA. Although his... he referred to his party as the BC Liberals twice. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> he can't remember the new name of the party, apparently. Which is a but, uh, problem. That is. That sort of sums up the problem this party's got. But his big jump to federal politics, so he's hooking up with Pierre Polyev and the federal conservatives, running up there in that Skeena riding. Man, I'll tell you, I think he's got a good chance to win up there. It's an NDP seat right now, right? I think he can win up there. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. Ellis has uh, got personal appeal. He's locally popular. He has been an NDP seat for a number of years. Nathan yes. Cullen used to have the seat. Yeah. Used to have some pretty impressive uh, election wins there. But, you know, Poliev's numbers are so strong in B.C. I think you, you go back to the 1990s when the old Reform Party uh, used to take NDP strongholds yeah. uh, like North Island and up in, up in uh, Skeena um, and even in Esquimalt, you know, which is working class soul of the NDP uh, here in the capital. Keith Martin was the M- MP there for a number of years. So, right. I think you're seeing potentially the same phenomenon where NDP seats are risk losing to the federal conservatives whose numbers are very strong. So Ellis Ross, yeah, a big catch for the conservatives, big loss for BC United, no question. I mean, Ellis was one of the stars of there. Um, his name's even been bandied about as a potential compromise leader if there was any one of this Ooh. this mythical merger between the conservatives and the and the and the bc united that would require a new leader so that's out the window now because he's going conservative so that, that now brings to seven the number of bc united mlas who are bailing out of provincial politics uh, ellis is going federal could we're, there be more well we're um we're waiting to see what mike de young does yeah. i mean that's the other rumor mill is that does he seek a seat uh federally He's been around here longer than anyone. He's been here since 1994. Um, so, But, you know, he hasn't made his intentions clear one way or another. So I think there's going to be more BC United MLAs not running, but um, big loss for them. Yeah, and this is bad news for Kevin Falcon and this BC United Party losing these candidates here. And I asked Ellis Ross this morning, did you do this because you were worried here about being reelected with this provincial party that's in trouble you know, you've got this BC Conservative Party now rising in the polls. Is that did that factor into your decision making? He said, "No, no, no, I wasn't worried about that." And he thinks BC United, as you mentioned, he's called them BC Liberals a couple of times. He thinks they're doing just fine. Let's have a listen here. So this is Ellis Ross speaking to me earlier this morning. I've had this uh, scenario before. I've had Conservatives run in our riding, and it's always just uh, appealing to the voters that I've actually tried to appeal to. It's a uh, I wasn't really worried about it, and I don't think uh, Kevin's really worried about it either. Okay, he says Kevin Falcon is not worried about the situation well, right now. And that's what Kevin Falcon says. Kevin Falcon calls... He's not worried. He's, he's famously is called the polls BS in an yeah. interview with Dirk Neuser, Canadian Press. He said it's all basically a myth that and likens it to 2013 when the Conservatives were actually polling fairly well under John Cummins and then collapsed in the election campaign and thinks that's going to happen again. A lot of things are different than 2013. I don't think everyone shares that view. But, uh, no, Falcon remains optimistic that when all is said and done, he's still going to be the one facing off against David Eby yeah. with a chance to win. Yeah, and Ellis Ross, I think that, let's say he does run up there, he does win for the federal conservatives. Let's say Polyev ends up as prime minister. He could end up as a cabinet minister. Oh, for sure, there. for sure. Yeah, yeah no, I think um, I think Ellis Ross would have a very good chance of being, you know, a Poliev cabinet. I mean, Poliev yeah. is, and his people have recruited him, um, even though, the, as as Ellis told you, 
the communications began long ago. Six, six years six ago, years he ago. said they've been trying to get him. I mean, Ellis put a Facebook video out last year, which all but had him saying he was going to run conservative. So this has been in the in the hopper for some time. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the uh, Metro Vancouver bus strike. So the buses are rolling again today, mm-hmm. but who knows if the picket lines go back up. Could this thing spread? And here's not an interesting dynamic to this, because you've got the bus drivers, right, who are not on strike, but they're refusing to cross the picket line because it's the bus supervisors who their are bosses, on strike, 180 of them. Their boss is, is those weird dynamics. So basically the bosses are on strike. Yeah, they're managers, are they? but they're in a union. Yeah, they're, they're, it's like a management union. So 180 of them, there's a lot more bus drivers than, than there are supervisors. Sure. But I got a couple notes from a retired bus supervisor and a couple bus drivers saying there is a tension there. Between these two unions, Unifor and QP uh, Local, where because again it's management, and sometimes there's discipline, and sometimes there's you know arguments over what's going on, and now one group is on strike and forcing the others uh, to respect or not forcing, but you know putting a picket line up, and Unifor is not going to cross the picket line, and they're not getting paid. No, and so was, you got all these bus drivers who are not not at work, and they're not getting paid. And so right? Gavin McCarrigal of Unifor held that news conference yesterday. Let's have a listen to that. So this is the uh, Gavin McGarrigal from Unifor. So this is the the union for the bus drivers and the maintenance workers. They're not on strike, but they're not at work because they're not crossing those picket lines from the supervisors, and they're not getting paid. Let's have a listen. Our members honour picket lines wherever they encounter them. They wanted to have the best of both worlds. Stick it to the QP members who are fighting for a fair deal and then use the rest of the thousands of members of Coast Mountain Bus Company to go without pay and have workers fighting against workers. Okay, so he says that these bus drivers who aren't even on strike, what, they should get paid because they well, don't want to cross their a picket line? They voluntarily didn't cross the picket well, line. Well, yeah. So, no, so why should they get paid? There's no precedent to getting paid here. So I think he basically came out to say that to appease his membership. Probably... Maybe Q- maybe the QP union should pay them. <laughs> pay them strike pay. Well, they're the bosses. Well, yeah. Over the members. So I, I assume there's probably not, there, there is obviously some tension there when you've got supervisors on strike and as a result taking money out of the people they supervise. <laughs> yeah. You don't see that too often. Because the, the supervisors are the guys who are on strike and they make a heck, heck of a lot more money than the dr- bus drivers, don't they? Uh, well, it depends, I guess, on overtime. But according to the figures we got, um, the management is offering a three-year deal that will result in, I think, $105,000 a year. For a bus driver? No, this is for, oh, a, super- for a supervisor. supervisor. And the the union's looking for, I think, a raise that would equal, I think, $112,000. So you got these bus drivers effectively saying that they're off the job not getting paid because their bosses are on strike. And they're getting paid. These that's, bosses are getting paid more than them. That's a weird dynamic. I'd be ticked off. Yeah, so we'll see what happens now. <laughs> Um, speculation is, are they going to do skytrain? As I reported last night, all labor disputes are governed by a rule book called the Labor Code. Yeah. And the referee is the LRB, the Labor Relations Board. And so you can't do too much if the LRB says you can't do that. So I think the union would have to apply to the LRB for permission to put a picket line. Or if they did, I think the company would seek an injunction immediately to get that picket line down. In front of the LRB. So I think the prospect of shutting down SkyTrain seems a bit far-fetched, but you never know. 
you know, who knows where this is going to go. Okay, who knows? Yeah, who knows? It could escalate. I think it might. Okay, let's uh, finish up with the federal court ruling on the Federal Emergencies Act. Of course, this was the Justin Trudeau government brought in that Emergencies Act during the Freedom Convoy, the truckers' protest that shut down Ottawa, or a big chunk of it. And it, these, uh, the ruling by the Federal Court of Canada, this was unconstitutional, went too far. The, the judge here, like reading the, the statement, or reading the judgment here, the judge acknowledges that this was, uh, he calls it an unacceptable breakdown of public order, this protest. But he still felt the government went too far with Unre- the Emergencies Act. Unreasonable. Unreasonable. Let's listen to Christia Freeland, the finance minister. She was asked yesterday, do you regret using this Emergencies Act? Have a listen. We faced, as a country and as a government, an incredibly serious threat. A threat to the public safety of many Canadians, a threat to our national security. I was certain, after a lot of deliberation with colleagues and many others, that we took the right decision. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, so the there was a commission of inquiry that basically backed the, the use of this act. Now yeah. the federal, they don't seem to be too concerned about it. They, they instantly said they're, they're going to appeal, appeal this. This is one judge at the federal court. And as you mentioned, the judgment reads like this protest was completely unacceptable, 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 but it was unreasonable to invoke this act. So we'll see if the Supreme Court of Canada... Yeah, I always thought, going back to this, and we talked about it a lot at the time, I always thought that Emergencies Act really wasn't necessary like, I thought it was more sledgehammer versus fly scenario. Like, what you needed was an effective police response that they didn't have. I mean, you had that Ottawa police chief who ended up resigning. Yeah. Chief Slowly. Complete... I'll never forget that guy's name. Yeah, chief Slowly. Yeah, because exactly. he moved so slowly. Uh, ironically, most ironically named police chief around. Yeah, yeah so that I mean, he problem. didn't get the job done. No, and that... and. That was one of the reasons that the Emergency Act was invoked, because the police yeah. weren't getting adopted. So it does go back to the police performance, or lack of performance, if you recall back then. It was the that, the capital ground to a halt downtown, and the police really didn't do anything about it. Do you it. think the the, pro, the federal government should bother appealing this? What's the point of appealing it? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of done, one and done. I mean, it's right? done and dusted it, now. Yeah, it? it's done and dusted. It's, um, you, you can make an argument. What's the point of appealing? I mean, this is... Um, you know, for future. Here we go now with more public's money on this. It's thing not going to shackle a future government just because yeah. they lost at the federal court. If they want to invoke the Emergencies Act, they can still do it. Yeah. This court ruling, I don't think, would have any impact. Again, another court down the road could say it was unreasonable. Well, you know, if it, once the event's over, who cares? It's Baldry's beat. Let's go right to your phone calls, Natalie in Poco. Hi, Natalie. Hi. Yeah, I think that judge made a mistake. I mean, here we have. No wonder we have people complain about the disrespect youth have towards government, towards police. You had a teacher come in on this morning talking about their classrooms. Well, no kidding. We have people, instead of writing letters, instead of voting, instead of engaging, we have kids that witness adults roll into a city, park their trucks, and honk their horns for 24 hours a day while they're partying. And that's what the rest of the world sees Canada. Is the police and the government had to take the high road and do something. So you think that, they were right? You think they were right to bring in that Emergencies Act then, right? Yes, yeah. they were right. I mean, they, was, uh, they had to get rid of them. Yeah. I mean, well, what, else, what else were they supposed to do? Well, I think you know, if they had I had an effective police. 
everybody. That's not how you behave. But unfortunately, now they've gotten away with it, and people are going to go, yeah, we won because we behave like idiots. Okay, thank you. And thank you for the call. Well, I mean, they didn't need the Emergencies Act to clear the Ambassador Bridge when there was a blockade of the, of the Ambassador's Bridge. I, this is a, a point that's been brought up by people who are opponents of this Emergencies Act, that you didn't need it. What you needed was an effective police response, which eventually we saw. I mean, eventually the police went in there with big numbers and they were able to clear it out. Right? Your yeah. thoughts? Yeah. Do you agree with her? Again, I'm not sure what the point of this is anymore. I mean, the the thing is long over. Yeah. And just being told, even if it had been judge ruled the other way, I don't think that would have made much of a difference. Yeah. I don't think it's going to change the government's point of view if if such an event were to occur again, at least not the liberal point of view. Let's go to Mike in Surrey. Hey, Mike, go ahead. Hey, guys. I I think one of the things we, we want to remember about that strike was that these poor truckers have been delivering food in their own little cabs back and forth across this country for a year when the Liberal government decided that the, the group that had were the most isolated workers literally on the planet, which were truckers, decided they had to do the uh, vaccine mandate, and that's what set off those poor truckers who did the uh, who went across the country. They really but do, you, do, you agree with they the, really do you agree were, with their tactics? Do you agree with what they did? I don't necessarily agree with their tactics. I think they may have gone a little bit too far, but they weren't violent. I think that they were very, uh, they were trying to be uh, as, as good as they could. They showed up in Ottawa. Police knew they were coming. They watched them travel the country, but the police yeah. in Ottawa didn't corral them into a uh, into a stadium. They didn't corral them anywhere. No, they, they moved too slowly. Right That's Chief down Slowly. Down. Chief right, Slowly right moved too slowly. Too slowly. Yeah. He's too slowly, and uh, he caused it. So. So I think that it was overreach and uh, poor policing. So, you know, I think Trudeau's got to wear this one. And uh, by the way, just a comment, I think we're going to get way more uh, celebrity uh, candidates for the Conservatives. I think they've had a real coup uh, with their man up uh, north. And I think Paulie is going to get some more celebrity candidates out of BC in the next uh, 30 days. Thank you, Mike. Oh, that's an interesting point. I mean, yeah, Paul is in the driver's seat when it comes to candidate recruitment right now. I'm sure he's having a much easier time whether they're star candidates or whatever, recruiting candidates. When you when you have the prospect of going into government, oh yeah, that's a very attractive, sure. that's a very big lure. And this is why you're seeing the provincial scene. You know, the liberals are, are the liberals. Put another coin in the yeah. BC United, BC United, BC United. Get they it are, right. They are trotting out some candidates, but um, we'll see if they can be successful in turn. Like, can they replace Ellis Ross with the same stature? Yeah. I've, would think that's going to be very difficult to do. I think so. Garth and Ladner. Hi, Garth. Go ahead. Yeah, 25% for those supervisors is absurd. I mean, if they're making 100000 a year, that's like 25000 more a year. And, I mean, what about the bus drivers as well? Are they getting strike pay? For I, I doubt no. it. No. No, they're not. No. No, they're not. That's the point. That's, this is why they're mad, you know, because they're they're refusing to cross those picket lines and they're not being paid. They are not required to be off the job. I mean, they could cross those picket lines if they want. Oh, I don't wow. expect any union to cross a picket no, line. You don't want but to... can they turn around and say, we want to be paid now? Well, I don't think they can. Many unions, I'm sure Unifor does, do have provisions to penalize members if they cross picket lines. Well, shouldn't Unifor pay them strike pay? Well, that, I, full disclosure, I belong to Unifor. Yeah. Right, well, that's the union at global. I don't want any financial impact on me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe you should have a chip, chip in.